I only want to talk if I feel like people are in a generous mood to listen. I think generous listening means that we understand that someone is coming from a place of context, coming from a place of nuance, coming from a place of understanding their own ability to be wrong, coming from a place that they want to be good. You know, I was like starting to be like, I only want to put things out to people that are coming to me with that generosity. You are listening to Made of Human, also known as the Mopad, a podcast hosted by Sophie Hagen, who is a Danish comedian. Mopad. Trying to find out Mopad. how to do life. Mopad. But it turns out Mopad. nobody knows Welcome back to the second uh, part of the Travis Alabanza chat that I had. If you have not listened to last week's episode, which was part one, you might want to go back and give it a little listen. I highly recommend skipping past the first, what is it, four hours where I just ramble and ramble and ramble with nowhere to go. Or if that's what you're into, then do listen to it. I'm in a <laughs> I've been listening to a lot of podcasts and because I'm in this isolation i mean, I say it as if I'm the only one, um, which, by the way, in the future, the context of this episode, this is mid, mid-pandemic. This was recorded, I think, on day 20-something of the lockdown. Uh, I'm recording this a bit later, and uh, I've been inside now for 35, six, seven, I don't know, so I've lost count, a month, over a month. And um, I've now started... <laughs> I've already texted one ex, of course I have. I've already taken questionable nudes and sent them to consenting people, of course. Uh developed new crushes, uh you know, all I've bought a ukulele, you know, it's just um just just <laughs> just the normal sort of stuff that you do in isolation. And um one of the things I did was I oh, so dumb. I went back in time and listened to not a recent but like within the last year episode uh where my my ex was another another ex was interviewed and <laughs> it was the most frustrating thing i was 10 years younger than i am now when i dated him and he was 10 years older than me and i would tell him <laughs> I mean, this not gonna make me sound good, but I would t- I would tell him what was wrong with him, you know. I'd be like, "Oh, you you do this because of this thing in your life," and I'm pretty sure that your parents, um, this thing would has made you do this thing, and you know, like I, it was it was just very very obvious. It was kind of easy to read, and his I don't know. It was I I could just remember being like, "Listen, these are your issues. If you want to work on them." Blah blah blah. Anyways, listening to this this episode ten years later, and it was just him going. I've recently learned that I think that maybe because of my parents doing this, that's probably the reason why I'm doing. It. And I was just in my kitchen screaming like, "You think? You think? Oh, that just occurred to you ten years after a twenty-year-old told you." <laughs> And that's a le- that's my isolation. It's me screaming whilst doing the dishes at someone I've not spoken to for seven years. But I'm I don't know if I was expecting him to go. I don't know why I listen, but sometimes I do listen to um 
to podcasts where the guest is someone I've like made out with or slept with or dated. And I don't know, I think it's just this egotistical part of me that's like, ooh, what if they mention me? <laughs> it's it's so toxic. I don't know why I do it. Uh there's I I did hook up with someone who was uh who has quite a a big podcast and so like a weekly one. There's so many episodes and I've not listened to all of them, but when I do listen, because it's also a good one, I don't just listen to hear if he's gonna say that we made out. But um sometimes they'll be like it doesn't matter what they talk about. I'm like, you could have mentioned me there. Like, how do you not think of, like, I must have popped into your head, you know? You know, when they're like, oh yeah, the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. He must be thinking, the last time I was there, I made out with Sophie Hagen. <laughs> Sometimes they'll be like, oh, was that in Denmark? Is that something happening? You know, they bring up and I'm like, oh, you must be thinking about me now. Why are you not mentioning me? Why would you? Because that's what I would do. Like, if I would, if I'd made out with someone from, you know what? When someone mentions Poland, the only thing I can think of is, oh, my first boyfriend was Polish. You know? Like, the f- if anyone mentions Utrecht, I'd be like, oh, I slept with a guy in Utrecht. Is that normal? I'd, maybe it's not normal. I don't know. I just want to be mentioned. I just, I want credit. Oh, I'll tell you this. I shouldn't be saying this. Cause, oh, let me think of how I can say it without it. <sighs> this is going to be very vague because it's very easy to trace. Um, I have a colleague who um, uh, wanted to do a specific job that would have been very, 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 very difficult for him to do. Uh, but I happen to know someone within that job so I spent hours trying to help him. He was a lot more successful and famous than me, uh, but also just like a nice, a nice guy. So I was like, I'll help you. And I was like, here are all the email addresses. I introduced him to people. I put so much work into it. And I was like, good luck. I hope you get it. All of those things. And he did. And I saw him like build on all the contacts. And I was just so happy for him, seeing him really just like, bloom and um then i heard him on a podcast uh, even though we've not even made out oh have we no did we oh i feel like we no we didn't um <laughs> we i think we almost made out not the point anyways and the, the host asked him so you got this job and uh, he said yeah uh i just I just worked really hard and like, I didn't know anyone. I didn't, uh, I just started over from scratch and like with no help whatsoever. And I sat, I don't even remember where I sat when I was listening to it, but I was just like, you, you, (laughs) you what? I was so angry. I'm a Scorpio. I carry grudges. I'm I'm, I'm a double Scorpio. I was furious. And like, it's not a big deal, but it's like, I, why would you not, why, why would you not say it? You know, I think also like, I'm, you're more famous. Like, I'm not, you mentioning my name is not going to give me anything that you don't already have. I don't know. I wasn't planning on say, saying any of that, but I'm very proud of how I didn't just immediately say his name and uh, called him a cunt and asked you all to go and unfollow him. <laughs> everywhere and before you 
before you tweet me and say, who is it? I'm not obviously not going to say. Uh, my plan is I'm going to give him another couple of years to acknowledge what I did. I'm still waiting for me to like run into him. And uh, this is my plan. My plan is to be, uh, oh, hi, how are you? Like hug and all that. And then um, when he talks about his success, I'll be like, oh yeah, I heard that you did that um, with no help. Is that is that true? You did that with no, just no, no help? Is that? Because that's just what I, I hear, that no one help. And I'm going to do that until he apologizes. And if he doesn't, then I'll I'll tell you his name. I've burned all the bridges. Um, it's not like there's a comedy industry anymore. So, uh, or, oh my God, I once got a really bad review from a, uh, uh, I mean, it wasn't really bad, but it wasn't as good as I wanted from a reviewer. And that wasn't even the problem. The problem was that his review said all the wrong things about my show. It was like, it's about her uncle dying. And I was like, no, it's not about my grandfather dying. What? And it was, he was mixing up characters and it was just, it felt like he hadn't seen the show. So for a month I was planning on what to say when I would run into him. And I was like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to walk up to him. And then I'm going to say, oh my God, you should come see my show. And then he was going to say, oh, I actually already saw it. And then I would say, oh, because I read the review and it really sounded like you didn't see it. And then boom, it was just going to be the biggest. Uh, it was going to be so good. But um, fortunately, I uh, when I did run, run into him, I was um, held back <laughs> from doing that because my friends care about me and um, care about me not ruining my entire career just because I was born in November. So, wow, that was a long ramble. That was a long ramble. I don't even really feel bad. We are nearing the 200th, 200th episode, and I will think of something fun to do for that. I think it's going to just be like a, a Q&A, but it won't take the place of... Um, it won't take the place of a regular episode, so it'll come out on like a Friday or something. And uh, I think I just want to answer some of your questions and about the podcast and anything else you want to talk about. So it's just, you know, I won't charge for it on Patreon or anything. It'll just be like an extra little thing. Or, or I'll try and get uh, the first guest on again. Because there was, I think Josie Long was the first episode, but she was not the first guest I interviewed. I think that was either... Richard Gadd or Jordan Rascopoulos. I'll figure it out. Anyways, I will now let you listen to the second part of um, my wonderful conversation with the wonderful Travis Ella Banser. So, Burgers, what did you have to prepare psychologically to do it? Was it because I. You, again, the drama, you said the drama, the people complaining, the people, you know, projecting all their feelings onto yeah. you and all of that. Like, what was the, were you ready to do it when you did it? Well, when it was in Hackney's showroom in the, in the, like, warehouse, I was totally ready. It felt like I was like, yeah, this is exactly what I was made to do. And those were the first ones? The first ones, yeah. yeah. It was like, right, 100 people every night, mainly queer people people that have been following my work before this, everyone's coming with like a really generous heart. It was still nervous, but we put in a lot of work. I think it was when it came back and the venue sizes were increasing, but also it felt like I thought that in Hackney Showroom, I was like, this is my big theatre debut. And it was, 
But I obviously forgot that the theatre world is classist and elitist. So they don't see Hackney Showroom in the East London in a warehouse as the same credit as the Traverse, you know, standard. Um, or coming back and doing South Bank. And that's when I was like, oh, everyone, there's a different kind of audience coming. And I didn't prepare for that. But after the first day, I knew I was going to have to. <laughs> so I opened the burger box doors and I was like, you know, normally I spot some orange hair dye, some piercings, some tattoos. And I opened the door and I went, everyone's got grey hair, but it's not in like the indie cool way because they're all over the age of 60. Natural, okay. Natural <laughs> right. So, so I had to do some quick, some quick, some quick preparations. Um, also, at the same time, you know, I was being targeted by TERFs quite uh, right. aggressively, not just online publicly, but at this time, they were also turning up to my events, leaving stickers. Um, again, this is stuff that we didn't at the time want to publish because we thought it might add fuel to it. But so at the same time, you know, we're having to send out emails to every single theatre that's contracted to work with us with what to do in case this is happening what to do when this is happening, what to do if these people come up, coming up with strategies. So it, it was a lot, you know, and at the same time, that is also responding to when you work with bigger venues and suddenly your audience say, where are the gender neutral toilets? Where are these? Where's that? So I'm also sorting out all of that as well. Uh, so we're sending out that. So it was about, it was prep for everyone else but me, it felt like. And then I just went into... I think I went into pure ecstasy for the hour that I do the show. And then when that hour finished, I put myself into everything other than the work. So I just didn't think about it. And I just really was like, I love doing this show. Enjoy that hour. When it finishes, try and just block it out. Um, so that's why I didn't really read the reviews until, you know, I saw the stars and I saw that they were good, but I didn't read any of them until the end of Edinburgh. Um, I just tried to block it out. And now I think when I'm making new work, you know, I was in the middle of, who knows if that work will be seen when, but I was in the middle of writing some new shows. And I think that's when I'm realising the residue of burgers. Mm. I'm realising, because the show has nothing to do with the topics of burgers, but I'm like, oh, okay, I still have some some emotional effects from doing that show at that time, because clearly I'm worried about certain choices I'm making in this work or thinking whereas in burgers I wasn't I wasn't worried about what would happen and then I found myself planning these shows and going oh but what happens if this happens at the audience and that's not what happened in burgers so um yeah so when you blocked things out was that was that you not letting things come in or was it you pushing already existing feelings away that will then come up later I think it's that. I think I thought it was the first, but it's actually the latter. I think if, you know, it was conflicting because I, my dream, this sounds so corny, Sophie, but like my dreams were also coming true with burgers. Mm -hmm. You know, like I've always dreamed and I didn't realise how specific my dream was. And it sounds weird, like your dream was just to do a theatre show, like, hey, what next? But like my dream, you know, I've been doing shows before, I've been performing before, but I dreamed of having like a tour manager the show being set up, going to all the venues, selling out, having your poster, like all of that and the work being good. So it was this conflict of like, this is happening whilst my dream is happening. Like I've dreamed of going to Edinburgh Fringe. Sounds wild. Some people dream of movies, but like I literally was like, this is just, I love 
I love theatre. <laughs> it's so bad. I love performing. And it's taken me a bit of a weird way to get there, but I, I've wanted to be there. But when that's happening at the same time as all these things that you didn't predict, because when you're younger, of course, you don't really know or how to dream for the specifics of anti-trans violence or the specifics of racism in theatre or all these things. And so when those things were cropping up, I think it was more like, don't come near this because I'm trying to just enjoy what I've always loved. Let me just have this. And so that you continue to do it. Because I knew that after, or had we planned, I knew that this year I'd be touring it internationally. Lol. Um, <laughs> that one hurt. That one hurt. Um, so I was like, you can't think too much about these things right now because you're still doing the show. When the show finishes, maybe. And what I'm realising is now the show, you know, is on pause. Um, I think it's, again, this just like, crystal clearness of some of these things only happened because you are x y and z identity and that you just have to sit with that because it's just sad you know you're like oh if you were not this maybe this interaction would have been different you know mm-hmm. if you weren't and you know mainly it's down to like if you weren't seen as a man in a dress I think that's what it's really coming down to I think trans is too vague for me I'm seen as when I wear a dress, I'm seen as a man in a dress. So I name that now, you know, that's what's happening. If you weren't seen as a black man in a dress, these things wouldn't be happening when you're on stage. And I think because we already have a really complicated relationship, us as people, to femininity on stage, to blackness on stage, to black men on stage, when you are then a person that represents femininity and being viewed as a black man, and the stage, of course these things are going to happen, you know? So I think it's all of that, you know? I'm like, shit, really? Like, how can you simultaneously think I'm a man in a dress and think that misogyny doesn't exist towards me whilst also only talking about what I'm wearing in all of my reviews? As if that's not, like, 101 misogyny. (laughs) So, yeah, I don't know. I'm going on rants, aren't I? No, no, it's good. So are those were those the feelings that you had to pushed down and then are they or were they the ones you mentioned that are now coming up when you're writing in your work yes because I'm writing work and I'm going oh shit but how is this gonna how is this gonna be affected by a white audience whereas that is not something I ever thought about you know if you've seen burgers yeah. you know I wasn't really thinking about that in a fearful way I'm thinking about that in a clever way like yeah. great this is gonna make me do this but you know um some of the work I'm planning doesn't just involve me now it's going to have lots of other people on stage so I'm I'm like oh but is this fair here is this and I'm like okay like it's really getting me a bit in my head sometimes when I'm writing it you know I'm like oh I don't know if I've got the strength to do that one again you know yeah so so there is yeah there is some questions there and is that the the sort of fear or the worry or the the things you have to think about in terms of that, is that physical safety? Is it psychological safety? Is it disappointing? Less physical, you know, because I do think in a theatre, like there was times when there was suspected protesters in the theatre and I was kind of like, well, fuck it. They're not going to, they're not going to physically do me. I think it's more like, again, I think it goes back to that thing we were talking about of like, when you know and can tell someone's not really seeing you and can you do that again for another year on tour when your whole show is the point is that you want people to see you, you know, Mm -hmm. but it was kind of a piece of work that was going like, I hope you see me. 
And that's why when it worked, it felt so good. Because I was like, I think people are getting it. And then when you get really starchy opposite, I'm like, shit, you just watched me for an hour. No one else, you know, it was me. And you still said that, fuck, you know? Mm. So I think there's some questions in the new work I'm making about how to move away from confessional, how to move away from how to collide the personal with something else, doing these different things to be like, I don't know if I'm ready to go, here I am on stage for a bit, you know? Can I ask, and I might be completely wrong, and if I am, fine. Is there something, so you said that you were sort of finding yourself more now, like you more know, you, obviously we all know more and more who we are as years go by, especially people who have to question it all the time. Um, is there something about uh, the you that you would now be showing an audience is now more you than the one you showed before? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Like if they do see you now, they would really see you. Or kind of that and then kind of like, I feel like the me now is so clear, more clear that I'm uncertain about what that means. Mm, and yeah. so the me that I'd be showing would be like, oh, I don't know, I'm in this weird thing of knowing. Whereas I think that was true with the last three years, but I came with this unabashed confidence of like, this is who I am, this is what I am. Because I think I have to, you know? You know, I'm like, no, I'm not a man. No, I'm not this. No, I'm not that. And I know that. But I think I then brought that confidence that I had to have to tell people like, no, you can't misgender me. No, you can't do this. No, you can't do that. To then everything else. Whereas I think now maybe, you know, it's been five years of making work in public eye. Now they don't misgender me as much in the paper. You know, now they, all right, they've got, they've got that. What are, you, what are you actually after that? And then it's like, oh shit. <laughs> maybe it's lucky all my shit was cancelled. I need to figure it out. <laughs> And is that part of, so the, what I can relate to with that is the way, and we've talked about this privately before a bit, in terms of, you know, social justice and political blah, blah, and all, you know, the anti-oppression stuff. Uh, the more, like what has happened to me since then is that I think I'm, I'm still at the same level of like radical, but I'm beginning to more and more understand that nothing is simple. Mm -hmm. And that very often you can't really put in something into a 240 character statement mm -hmm. that everything has caveats and everything needs to be judged within a context. And, you know, and then that means my anger has subsided a lot and I'm less sort of what people would call militant about it. Mm -hmm. But that also means that now when I do say something about something, I don't feel confident unless I put it into this very vague context of like but also what do I know and also I know I don't know enough yet and also this might have to do with this other thing and I don't you know and then everything just becomes less clear mm. and then it is harder to put things out there because you don't want to say anything wrong but you also know that there isn't necessarily a, a right mm. Mm. yeah 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 definitely that goes to my mind but I think what I then try and do or think is I like, I only want to talk if I feel like people are being generous or in a generous mood to listen. Mm. I think generous listening means that we understand that someone is coming from a place 
of contacts, coming from a place of nuance, coming from a place of understanding their own ability to be wrong, coming from a place that they want to be good. You know, I was like starting to be like, I only want to put things out to people that are coming to me with that generosity. Mm. And that allowed me to be a lot clearer when I say something because I cannot do those caveats. I can go, I'm just saying this. And if someone goes, mm, mm, maybe da, da 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 I'm like, okay, cool, da, da da I can adjust. Because I think I still don't want to live in a place, I think, again, maybe we're, we're speaking about online a lot, but I feel like, fuck it, that's because we're spending all our fucking time online mm. right at the moment. Just after, like, me trying to do all this work to get off the internet as much, and I was just yeah. getting my screen time down, and now I'm <laughs> fucked. Um, you know, I think online is not a generous space to people. Mm. It, they're not generous to our ideas. I think it used to be. I think the internet had that always in mind. I've, I've learned some of my, I've learned the most from the internet. But wherever I've landed in now, and I think I just need to find another spot, online is not generous. And that's not me saying on the baseline of like, fuck cancel culture. All of those things are like more nuanced, as we were saying. But the audiences don't feel generous. It feels like we're all waiting for someone to be wrong rather than understanding that community like good feminism good solidarity is about helping people grow together right you know there's a reason the uk ended this election this election problem happened there's a reason that we're seeing a surge of far right there's a reason why we're not connecting dots um God, I don't know how I've gone to that tangent, Sophie. Sorry. I haven't done an interview in so long. I'm like halfway from like, what was that about? Okay, it was about, right. So I'm like, yes, I'm still clear with my views. I'm just not clear about them online. That's why if you look at my captions now, you'll see they're not, not, they're not saying things. I'm not making, I'll share some links to some things. At the moment, again, this might change. You know, we're allowed to fucking change. But still in my personal life and with my friends and at my shows, fuck it. But I just think, um, online yeah it feels like a fire pit and I can't be asked I can't be fucked I can't be fucked because we can't have that conversation how do I tell people that this same you know in the same breath that you're doing these pitchforks with me is the same energy that I think leads to people being in prisons how do I say that yes when I mentioned and compared self-isolation to solitary confinement I'm not saying it's the same thing, but I'm actually saying that we need to think about prisons in this moment because you're all using prisons as a metaphor in all your writings, but let's actually think about prison justice. How do I say that the same energy that you're cancelling these celebrities with one breath and saying, but then saying, fuck, you know, all these influencers saying, fuck cancel culture, but will then condemn loads of people to prison and online and stuff like that. Same thing. Can't say that all. So I just say in a podcast instead where I can run away from it and there's no comments. (laughs) I feel like if people have made it this far, they, that's the thing about podcasting and books. I feel a more, a safer spaces than all social media and anything that people who really hate, they'd have to be a really specific type of psychopath to read a whole book or to listen to a whole podcast. If you've made it this far and hate me, (laughs) please pass this on to my exes because maybe they would have stayed around. (laughs) Also, if you've been this fan, you hate it. Scusy, a therapist, mate. Like you have. Yeah, you should pay for both of us just for like why? Yeah, <laughs> you're not filling your life with happy things. That's such a shame. Karen, stop. <laughs> Karen, turn off the podcast and listen to something you'd like. <laughs> Karen, there is a manager downstairs. You can talk to her. There. <laughs> can you speak to the manager of the podcasting, please? <laughs> um, speaking of 
just things being um, fluid and mm. uncertain and fun and changeable. In terms of gender, we've not even really touched upon that. Oh God, I know. What's happened since <laughs> since the, since two thousand eighteen? And I'll say I'll say one thing that's happened, which is was that last New Year? Yeah, it must have been. And I saw, around last New Year when I sort of came out. In, I'm still not a really weirdly officially out, but I mean, I've just said it everywhere. <laughs> I've just not made the post. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, and I left you this, I imagine this rambly voicemail and uh, and you yeah. left me one back and it was just the most meaningful, amazing thing to happen to me. And I was yeah. so grateful that you were there to be like, hey, 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 it's <laughs> fine. <laughs> Sit down, breathe. And I was like, I don't know. What if I'm not, I don't think, what if I'm not non-binary? I am non-binary. I, well, I know I'm not a woman, but I'm also not. <laughs> you, were just, you were just so lovely. That was, I'm so glad that came across because I remember the voice note and that was my exact, I was like, I'm, if I was in person, I would have just went, hey, you got this. <laughs> um, where am I at? You know, I'm really, um, I'm figuring it out still. I think I have way more physical discomfort with myself than I have in a while. So I'm trying to figure out what that looks like for me, what change. And, I'm, and I, that's been for a while, you know, 2019, but I've started speaking about it more openly at the end of the 2019. I was like, okay, I think there's some physical changes I'm going to need to do. Um, so I'm just trying to figure out what those will look like, what they'll be, how to plan for them. Um, I feel ever more unbothered by words people use to describe my gender anymore. I feel like, um, yeah, I'm trying, trying, I shouldn't need to, I don't know why I'm tying all the conversations together, but I think that's where my brain is. Mm. But I'm like, um, thinking about a year of everyone, like I think what's caught up with me is five years of everyone online calling me a man in a dress and me going, well, fuck it whatever I know what I am whereas before I think I was fighting for language a lot more than I am now I I think um yeah I'm more just interested in what to do to personally align myself with my gender and less interested in explaining or talking about it with people um so yeah is that something you're you're ready to talk about like now well, I think it, that's. I think that is talking about it, and then that's kind of where it is now. You know, yeah. I don't know what that will be. Yeah. Okay. And I'm still trying to figure it out. Um, but I think, yeah, I think I know that I don't want to be. It was this funny thing where I like imagined myself in my thirties, and I wasn't imagining gendery stuff. I was imagining like career and family and friends and my apartment. And then I like looked in the mirror of my apartment. I was like, oh okay, <laughs> that's how I want to imagine. And I was like, okay. And I tried doing that a couple more times, you know, and I was like, okay, the same image is coming up, bitch, you got some work to do. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think I just know, I think it's complicated for me because my theory is this when theory and practical really fucks with me. And I'm such a theory girl, you know, I love reading my gender shit, even though I try and keep it out from convos because I don't want to be a wanker. I do really love it. You know, it forms so much of my things. And I know that these changes that I want to make are only coming because the world does not see me as how I see myself inside. 
I know that these changes I want to make are not innate changes that I wanted to make. They've developed over years of people not seeing me as androgynous as I think I am. And so when I dress up or do these times and I really look in the mirror, I go, wow, I could look like this for the rest of my life. And then I go outside and I'm called he or another trans person. Like, it's like, oh, well, I'm compares their transition to mine in a way that, you know, holds their femininity up and mine not, or someone notices, like, oh, but you, you like to keep it natural and points to a beard. And I'm like, oh, I thought it was covered. Then I'm like, shit, my reality and my fantasy is not the same. And I think these changes, I'm learning that just because I'm not making the changes from an innate, I knew I always wanted this mode and more I, I want people to see me how I see myself. I think that's where it is, you know? And who knows, who knows what those changes will be? You know, I'm keeping it open. Yeah. Be a bit of Botox. Who knows? <laughs> I feel like it makes so much sense. And it also opens up to this. Um, I kind of want to tie it together with um, something about control, isn't there? Of like trying really desperately wanting to control. Like I said it once on stage in the middle of a work in progress. I haven't said it since on stage, but it just came out of me. And I was like, this is exactly what it is. I was speaking and speaking. I was being so frustrated at how I was like, no one was actually listening to me. Mm. Like I was literally on stage saying, I hate woohoo feminism. I hate the whole, yeah, you know, like a bunch of white people saying, yes, queen. Yeah. Like I don't say, don't shout that at my shows to me. And I was like talking about this and people were still whooping. And I was like, and then eventually I said something like, the only reason I I want to lose weight so that people will take me seriously as a fat activist. And yeah. that, I was like, yeah, you know what? That's it, isn't it? Like, fuck you. <laughs> yeah. The only way you're going to take me seriously and believe in what I say and give me the, just mm. the benefit of the doubt or assume that what I'm saying is true is if I just, if I'm lost weight, then you'd start believing me, which is so fucked up and not how I want to live. And I'm not, I don't want to compare that to you because it's obviously like a different thing. But there is a there is a the emotions behind it of like okay well what do I need to do to be to be listened to right yeah and to be I think to alleviate dysphoria but I think the conversation around dysphoria there's lots of different types of it and I think we only ever talk about it as if we're all feeling this internal and I say no for me dysphoria is a publicly induced thing I think dysphoria is a state insuced thing the state of gender the oppressions and the system of gender have caused my dysphoria this is not something i was born with i was given dysphoria and so i go period on that and that is where you know god i'm really i said i wouldn't say it but here we go we're saying you know that's where some people in the community outside the community really want to butt head with me but what again it comes down to holding that some people can have one experience and other people can have another some it might not be that but for me that is very clear, that dysphoria was given to me by them. And actually, if the world did not gender us so violently, if the world was not so obsessed with gendering us at every single moment, if the world was not so obsessed with altering how they will treat us because of the gender they assume we are, if the world was not so obsessed with literally deciding our genders for us before we're allowed to talk, and then ignoring us when we do talk, then who knows if I would feel dysphoria, period. So when they then go to the changes and they ask you, well, what's the evidence that says that you need this? I tell them, ever since I was seven, I knew, da 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 
And of course I keep it moving, but deep down, I think it's an understanding that these changes might have came from someone else, but you know what? They might, those people are still going to be there in 10 years. So if mm. I keep on holding it off because it's not this innate thing, then what am I holding off? Mm. Actually, like, I know that doing some of these things might make me feel better. Mm. And they might not, you know, but I think I can't wait around. <laughs> I can't, you know? So yeah, all of this to say that I am going to get my teeth whitened in the next few years. And I just don't want people to make a big thing out of it. These are the personal changes I'm choosing to make to align myself with my gender. Thank you. So you could get some kind of influencer deal where you could... Uh... <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is all to say I will be dyeing my hair bleach blonde during this time. And I just need you to know that it was a you-sanctioned thing. If it goes wrong, you decided this on me. <laughs> You made this happen. <laughs> you gave me pink hair. <laughs> Society made me have pink hair. Yeah, that's how I'm doing Society it. Society gave me an undercut. <laughs> God, I'm going to listen to this back, Sophie. And in the moment, it felt like really like, like, yeah, I think I'm really getting my point across. This sounds really in it. But it has the risk of listening back and going, what the fuck are you on about? Well, that's the entire podcast. That's, that's what this is about. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, what was I going to say? Um, Oh, I lost it. Oh, I have a question. I know I'm yeah. not. Um, how? So I've said how I've changed perception-wise, like to myself personally. How do you feel like your your approach, like from the 2018 interview to like now knowing me a bit more? What, like what, how? How did this interview approach change for you? Or like what's like what did like finding it what, what was there something you wanted to find out that like was different to last time you were finding out as an interviewer like or do you not go into interviews that kind of vibe I just I'm just interested in like from 2018 to now I've talked about like how I think I've changed or what, learned differently but what do you think is like well because I feel like I've started I that was the first time we it was the first time we met right yeah, yeah. and I so I didn't know you at all and I didn't really know what to expect I didn't know that much about you so I'm not sure if what I've witnessed has been you changing or just me getting to know you better. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I think that's what I assume. I'm like, yeah. oh, yeah, this is Travis. Oh, no, I was wrong. This is Travis. Instead of thinking uh, that you were any different. Because also, and then I saw your show last year, and, and then I thought, oh, now I know you a bit better. And, you know. Yeah, um, no better. Yeah, I feel like trying to think because I don't listen back to these because yeah. I just I can't handle the accent <laughs> I can't deal with it <laughs> shit that's inconvenient so <laughs> no. I shouldn't really be speaking in public <laughs> it's real sad um, but don't, I've been not going to be speaking in public for a while <laughs> <laughs> thank god thank god oh Jesus um, what I have loved is seeing and I don't know if that's is a change, but what, what is so one of the most valuable things about your, uh, what you've said about gender and the thing of allowing it to be fluid and allowing it to be changing. And which I also think blends in with social justice, blah, 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 activism in general, this thing of Mm -hmm. allow, allow change, allow growth, allow space and have a generous mind about it. I think that is the, I think what I initially thought about you was that you were a lot more, uh, what's the word for like, this is what it is, period. Right. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like. Yeah, and which I which I also relate to the way I've been feeling about things from an activist mm-hmm. point of view and from a fat point of view. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I would, I was, I would very much be the type of person who would say, uh, well, if you are on a diet and you're fat, you're a traitor, you know, that sort of thing, yeah. which I can still say in a jokey way, but it's a joke. Um, when now I'm, I'm much more calm about stuff like that in terms of gender as well, a lot more sort of, allowing myself to say, I don't know. And I can't explain it. And I'm not like going to come out, out, but also I'm not going to not say that I'm, do you know? So I don't know if that's a change in you, if you've always, or if you've had that before I met you, but yeah. 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 I think I've, I think I've had lots of personal moments in my life where I was definitely proven wrong in the last two, two or so years, like wrong. There was no question about it. You were just wrong, babe. And um, I think that made me go, oh, yeah, maybe, like, this is okay. This is okay. And I learned loads from being that wrong. I was like, wow, fuck, you learn loads from being wrong. Um, That doesn't mean people don't get hurt from you being wrong. And that's something you've got to figure out. But you do learn from being wrong. And I think it's made me be a bit more okay with that feeling. Um... Also, I just start, one thing that really, uh, I feel like I'm saying this, this is one thing that really struck me about the first episode is how much I mentioned I was in therapy. And clearly I was just, <laughs> I mentioned it so much, like to the point where I was clearly like realising it was the joke that was making you laugh and engaged and the audience. Oh. So I was quite, um, I was very much wanting to impress everyone that day. Um <laughs> including you and like as you know I was just like oh my god I'm being invited by a comedian like they never invite me like to do things and I am funny maybe this is going to be my instinct like oh yes this is the world um and w- one thing I think because I must have mentioned therapy so much because I was just starting and I was trying to overstate how much I was doing in it clearly from that into that's what I can see but one thing now that therapy over that long of many years has really shown me is like how the someone that was saying all these things about being beyond a binary, saying all these things about not being man or woman and could understand all the complexities and nuance around gender was being so binary in other ways of thinking. In my own life, in my own opinions of myself, mainly, I was like, I'm bad now because I've done this and bad and good. My therapist said, Travis, do you think someone, I've heard you mention prison a bit, do you think someone that goes to prison is automatically a bad person? Like, no. Do you think that someone that does that is doesn't know? So why are you being so binary about insert this, insert that? And I was like, oh. And I think that's been the thing, you know? If I can think gender's complicated, then long story short, probably everything else is too. <laughs> I want to ask two questions about that. The first one is, how do you feel about those moments in therapy when they're just saying something and you're like, oh, shit. <laughs> oh, no. I always go... <laughs> I always pause and go, for fuck's sake. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I sometimes say, um, oh, you win. And she has to be like, you know, it's not a competition. I'm like, I'm, like, I'm joking. <laughs> God damn it, you beat me again. Like, what did you think this was? Well, you say a joke to it back and they go, and then they take it seriously. And you go, I'm joking. You know, I'm joking. They go, I can know you're joking whilst also not encouraging that as a response. <laughs> Mine doesn't do that, but she she's German. So I'll do a joke and then she'll go, that is funny. I'll be like, that's good enough. I'll take that. <laughs> it's the acknowledgement, but not the encouragement. I take that. Yes. 
when you get them to laugh, though, that, oh. that rare moment. Oh, well, I, I'm happy at first, but then I go, um, like, immediately I'm like, oh. yeah, but <laughs> I'm, obviously I can make her laugh. I'm good at this. It's too easy, isn't it? Why is she laughing? And then I, I think less of her. <laughs> Why is she laughing? Like, of course I'm funny. Like, stop laughing. Stop being so easy to impress. <laughs> but my other question would be, but yeah, about therapy. Are you still in therapy? Yeah, still in therapy. Got my session tomorrow. Um, Same. There was, a, there was, yeah, Wednesday mornings for me. Um, Wednesday afternoon. No wonder we're so, we never, we never talk on a Wednesday night. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, there was a moment, obviously, in this whole COVID thing where I was like, shit, am I going to still be able to afford it? But luckily, um, I've been able to, and he's also been flexible as well. Um, but yeah, it's also interesting. Again, it's this new thing of, like, when I first was starting, it's all I wanted to talk about. And now that I'm actually, like, feel like I'm in it, I'm like, oh, yeah, I do it. And that's kind of, that's where it is, you know? It's really in- Whereas when I first started, it was like, I'm in therapy, and now I'm like okay again it's maybe, I don't know what the theme is throughout all of this Sophie but again I think it's again pausing and going maybe in a year you'll want to you'll know what you're screaming about but yeah. right now um, I'm in a consensual relationship with my therapist where it feels like he is just beating the shit out of me every week <laughs> <laughs> and I know for a fact that there will be people listening who are you know baby baby trans uh, yeah. baby activists baby all of these things uh, queer and they'll be like, where do you find a therapist where you mm. feel safe with all of these? Uh-huh. You know, it depends if you're baby in, in Seoul or also baby on birth certificate. As in, like, if you're still under 25, um, there's lots of great things that you can, that I know of. Um, I really recommend gendered intelligence, even if you feel you're too old for the youth group. Gendered if, intelligence. Gendered intelligence. Even if some people don't go because they might feel too old to be part of a youth group. But because if you're under... 25 or under you can still access their services they have great um chances to like a lot of the people there are trained therapists and trans or trained in social work or whatever but they can also then signpost you to great either trans therapists or trans friendly therapists um i always recommend nas as well if you're a queer person of color they nice. nas yeah they're an online and in-person directory for lgbt people of color that have a whole therapist that are also lgbt and people of color um metro charity do uh affordable sliding scale sometimes even free uh therapy sessions 10 sessions i think for lgbt people don't quote me on that i know it's definitely like maybe a fiver or something or sometimes they even do it free for a certain amount of time and they're lgbt um yeah and i would say that like there are places again it depends if it's baby in mind or actually in birth but like if you're under 25 i would say that there's actually like I know that there's a lot of conversation, rightly so, about class and therapy and access. Mm. I would say, oh, it's again, testing if we're this far, if I can say something wrong and they'll be all right. Maybe I'm wrong on this one. However, I think sometimes, yes, money is an issue, but sometimes also we need to take account that money can also be an issue at the same time as also us just not wanting to go to therapy because we're avoiding choosing and deciding to go. And yes, some therapy is expensive, but actually for LGBT people, there are lots of resources to be able to find places in the UK. I don't know about elsewhere, if you're listening elsewhere, but in the UK to find access to LGBT counselling or therapy or places to talk. We'd also say that there's this really cool thing online called Misery Party, 
um, which is ran by a collective of queer and trans people of colour. And they have been doing, before the pandemic, they were hosting like sober parties in nightclubs, which sounds like miserable, but it actually looked like there were people having loads of fun. That sounds amazing. Uh, yeah, exactly. It sounds amazing. But for me, I'm like, fucking hell, I couldn't think of anything worse. But that's probably saying <laughs> to a different podcast for a different day. Um, but now online, they're really, since growing as a place, they're really opening online. They just had like a online check-in chat with other trans people of colour. They have lots of like amazing chats with like trained therapists of colour that come online and share resources. They're doing loads around mental health in a way that doesn't feel, some mental health things online can feel very like, get out of bed, wash, and you've done what you need to do today. And you're like, that's really not going to like help me. And what I'm seeing with Misery Party is they're really taking serious um, queer and trans of colour health. They're saying actually advice we give out is important. So if we don't, when we do, we want to push you. We want to push you to go where you actually want to go. It's not a everything you do is right. It's like, let's actually talk about trauma and these things. And so I would say Misery Party for any queer and trans people of colour of any age, um, I think they're doing incredible work. I'm actually like gassed by them. I just think they're so, God, I'm gushing. I'm going to tell them now when I hang up on this one. Um, I just think they're doing great stuff, really cool stuff. Amazing. Brilliant. Uh, before asking you the um, the extra questions for the uh, Patreon, the lovely Patreons, yes. patrons, uh, I want to ask you the last question that I always ask on this podcast. Now, I have asked you this before, but it was two years ago, and uh, it was live, and we didn't really know each other, and things may have changed, or maybe they haven't. So, um, you're in the delivery room, and you have just been born, but you are also you now, holding yourself as a baby. And little tiny Travis was just in the womb where everything was lovely and warm and quiet. And they're like, oh, this is nice. And then suddenly they're born and whoa, there's lights and sounds and like doctors and it's, it's horrible. And then you take them into your arms and you're like, hi. And little baby Travis is looking at you like, what the fuck is this? Is this what life's going to be? Just like lights and sounds. It's horrible. Is this what the rest of their life is going to be? Now, you know what's going to happen from then on till now in your life. Uh, everything will still happen the same way. And you know it's going to be lights and sounds, but it won't be lights and sounds. It'll be fucking people throwing things at you in the street and abuse. And it'll also be lovely, beautiful moments. Like, you know everything that's going to happen to this baby. And you can't change anything. Whatever you tell this tiny little baby won't change anything. You can just maybe reassure them or tell them what's going to happen because that's all they want to know. They'll forget it straight after. What would you say to teeny tiny baby you? Trust yourself. God, so fucking corny, but really that's the thing that came to me is I would just say trust in yourself and trust in your instincts and your decisions because you're really good at, you're really good at that. Like it would also, I would say, to you, not the baby now, that I thought this whole time you were going to ask me the Westlife question. Oh. <laughs> so this whole build-up, I was like, wait, isn't this the West? Isn't this something to do with Westlife coming up? And then it was this, and I was like, oh. <laughs> but yeah, I would say, <laughs> so this whole time I was like, isn't this question got something to do with Westlife? And like, what question? And I was You're like, I'm ready, room. Pla- I'm West- ready pla- Westlife just gave birth to you. <laughs> what Westlife song would you sing to your baby self? <laughs> but yeah, I would just, I think I would say trust yourself. Um, 
yeah, because the world's going to really try and make you doubt yourself, but you've got to trust yourself. And do you still need to be told that? Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Thank you so much for doing this. Where can people find your stuff? You know, um, I know nothing is... At Sophie Hagen on Instagram. <laughs> you can find it at Westlife. Um, <laughs> at Travis Alabanza. But also, you know, actually, fuck it. These time schools for different things. Um, you can buy burgers online, but if you just wanted to buy it because you wanted to support me, my PayPal's now in my fucking Instagram link, which is a big change for me. So yeah, if you like my shit, you liked what I said, if I made you laugh. And if you're rich, only if you're like, re- some people I'm really learning, You, some of you people have got fucking money. Wow. Uh, yeah, wow. and sometimes you'll get a donation that's like two pounds and someone will say, I just wanted to support you, but this is all I have. And you're like, oh my God, you are the kindest person. This is so, th- this Not is so you. kind. Not to you. Yeah, when when you know that there are people who, who just spent like 30 grand on nothing. Yeah. And you're like, could you give me those 30 grand, please? <laughs> I've really learned. I'm like, fucking hell. I didn't really realize how rich some people, like everyday yeah. people are. Like you think it's only celebs and then you're like, oh no, there's just rich people walking among us. And like, I thought they would smell a certain way, but... <laughs> They even stole that from us. <laughs> oh, amazing. Uh, well, I think people should go and uh, give a little donate, donate. Tell all that stuff. Anything for it. <laughs> um, yeah, thank you so much for doing this. I'm going to ask you the extra questions in a tiny bit. But thank you for doing this main, main chat. Love you. Love you. A massive, massive thank you to Travis Alabanza for being my guest and talking to me for so long. I enjoyed every second of it. And I know, I know you, listener. I know you did too. Of course you did, because Travis is a fucking... I am so grateful to have Travis in my life. I'm so grateful. I'm so, so grateful. Now... Uh, of course, go and, and tweet them and thank them for, for doing this and uh, and tell them that you love them and follow them and all of those things. Uh, I did I did just, I, I just figured out during that episode uh, why I ramble so much in these introductions. It's because the recording software that I usually use to record these is uh, it doesn't work anymore for some reason. So I've changed and I I'm now recording it in a program where it doesn't show me how much time I've been recording so I have no idea maybe did I talk for three minutes or 20 I have no idea that's why I'll fix that I'll start timing it so that I don't bore you to death uh oh my god that was just a massive massive thank you to the wonderful Travis Alabanza I'm now going to say a massive thank you to you for supporting uh, this podcast because you are uh, the 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 light of my life my saviors my I am so lucky if if I had to f- point out one of the most positive things about this lockdown which doesn't mean it's not horrible doesn't mean I don't find it very tragic and all of that but I do think it's healthy to to look at the bright side sometimes just to not disappear into a ditch and if I have to look at the bright side of this it's definitely that I've realized how lucky I am. It sounds so wanky and like, who am I, Oprah? But, oh my God, I'm so lucky that that you guys are listening and that I can do this podcast and it can help me financially. And uh, I'm not going to get, you've heard me say this before, but I genuinely thank you. 
Now, if you sign up for Patreon, patreon.com forward slash mopod, you uh, give a certain amount per episode. And if you give $5 or more and you sign up for the VIP section, then you will get your name read out loud at the end. There's also an option for you to not have your name read out loud, but still give the $5 per episode. Uh, you can do all of that through, through Patreon. But now I want to say a massive thank you too. And this is on the day of me recording this, so it might be a tiny bit in the past. So if you just signed up, just wait. Your name will be read out loud eventually. Now I want to say a massive thank you to Andrea Cowper-Roggen. I'm so sorry that I'm going to struggle with that name. Cowper-Roggen. Andrea Peplon, Andrew January, Andy Walker, Anja Knoblauch, Anna-Marie Hepburn, Aretha, Autumn Blue Sky, Bamboo Bandit, Barry Norton, Caitlin Kefosay, Cherry Windsor, Christine with a Y, uh, Danny Beckett, Daniel Reifersheet, Danielle Johnson, Dieter Bonber, Jensen, E, Eleanor, Emily Bindi, Emma Chan, Emma Day, Emma Parangi, three Emmas, uh, Felicity Tully, Vanilla Dunn, Privacy, Soros, Aurora Teratops, Gal- Galway Cass, Gillian Davidson, Grace Ann, Hannah Powell Smith, Hannah Rose Tristram, Harold Van Dyke, Harry Maynott, Helen Jurina, Helen Jermak, Hihi, uh, Holly Ritchie, Ida Sugolasen, Josie, Catherine Norton, Kathleen Gulmanson, Catherine Williams, Katie Hatfield, Katrina Pillarsen, Kim Williams, Kirsten E, Kirsten Davison, Christine Nicholson, Kristen Sillaby Franson, Laura Ingman, Lillian Harry French, Hungered in a Bunker, Lily Cassell, Lola Phoenix, M Dash, Maeve Houlihan, Maury Fraser, Megan Roberts, Nicola Ellison, Tigorific, Paul Swaddle, Perpetual Motion, Pierre Fenneux, Rachel Ray England, Rachel Evenheim, Rachel Furley, and Rachel Williams. That's four Rachels. Rachels is, is the winner. Ragdoll, Rianne Rivers, who hates parsley. Uh, Robert Knowles, Robin Kappa, Rowan Pierce, Samantha Jolie, Sarah Allett, Sarah Plumer, Sophia Ramsey, Susie Tyler, and Victoria Greer. Oh my God, there's so many names now. It is so exciting. I want to cry. So, um, I'm, oh God, I keep not... Where's that tab? It says, I don't want to forget. I don't want to forget anyone. Where's the tab? There it is. Sorry. So <laughs> thank you so much to Travis for having this wonderful chat with me. Thank you to you for listening, especially if you're listening now, because you just heard me say all those names. So you must be a, a true supporter. So thank you so, so much. Thank you to Dave Pickering for editing this episode, to Harriet Brain for writing and recording the jingle, and to Justine McNichol for the logo. This podcast was produced by Dying Alone Limited. I will speak to you next week. Bye. Oh, pie.